When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So 245 with Dr. Vince Houghton, the author of Nuking the Moon and Other Intelligence Screams and Military Military Plans Left on the Drawing Board. That's a really janky image. It'll be in the description, the top comment. It'll be the thumbnail. I read your book, and I'm already butchering this because I'm supposed to let you introduce yourself, but I'm clearly not. I read your book, or I listened on Audible. I, you know, like a true sane person, I play video games and I mute it and I listen on Audible. That's how I learn, right? Hashtag millennial. I remember listening to your book and the entire time I was cheering like a moron by myself because it was one thing after the other that I, that no one had ever brought up other than me. The the dinosaur, the D-U-C-C, the, the, the nukes underground. And I was just cheering. And I was like, I need this man on my podcast. And the stars have aligned. But I'm already fanboying, so I'll take it down a notch. How about you introduce yourself? <laughs> uh, it's all good. Um, yeah, no, I'm the author of Nuke of the Moon and one other book called The Nuclear Spies, which is not as fun. But it's good. Uh, I've read it. It's Yeah, it's, it's a little more scholarly. But yes. It's certainly the uh, same basic idea. Yeah. Uh, my background is in nuclear intelligence. Uh, and so I've kind of parlayed that into a couple jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm the former historian curator of the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C. I've now moved on to other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can Google me to find out what. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I wrote this because I tell I told all these stories. Yeah. As, as, as you know, working at the Spy Museum and someone's yeah. like, you got to put these all together. Yeah. Like, you've got to put this, just turn this into a book. And yeah. I never really even thought about that before. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, one of my podcast guests, because I, I ran SpyCast, which was a, a podcast, is a podcast out of the Spy Museum. I don't want it anymore. One of my guests said, you got to talk to my agent. I'm yeah. like, oh, okay, sure. I mean, I'm, a, I'm an academic historian. Book agent's not necessarily yeah. something you think about all the time. And I got, you know, she literally, I'm like, oh, yes, I need the information. She goes, no, 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 no. She pulled out her phone and actually called her agent <laughs> and said, I've got this guy, this great idea, and handed me the phone. And I explained it to her, and she's like, I'm sending you forms right now for you to sign for me to become your agent. And literally we, uh, it was an idea that had been bouncing around in my head and I was on a Thursday and by the following Tuesday I had a book deal (laughs) and all of a sudden I had to write the thing. Yeah. All of a sudden I had to write the thing, which, you know, is easier said than done. Uh, but yeah, I mean, a lot of it was, how was I going to do it? And the decision was, I had been telling these stories successfully for so long. I'm just going to write them how I tell them. Yeah. And so in many cases, people look at the book and go, this is not the normal I history know. book because it's first person. It's There's some naughty words in it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of these things that uh, had a lot of fun writing. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're short to me. I mean, they're 10, 15 pages, bite-sized pieces they're, that... They're short, yeah. Yeah, that you can read, you know, one a day or kind of sit down and just knock it out on a vacation or something like that. So, you know, to me... You know, it's episodic. I didn't want to get too deep into it. And one of the things I really wanted to make sure I did was that if you wanted to know more about any of these stories, you didn't have to go to the National Archives. You didn't mm-hmm. have to actually, you know, the lay person could find a lot of information online, find a lot of information at the library to where they could look at 
you know, kind of the backstory behind these things. So yeah. I purposely said, I'm not going to include, and this isn't me being lazy. This is me kind of as a, as a kind of realization that the audience is going to be. I said, I'm only going to include things that I can allow people to follow up yeah. uh, and do more research on their own without having to do too much heavy lifting. So uh, that's why, you know, some people are like, there's no primary research in this. I'm like, well, there is, but you can find it online, yeah. right? You can go and read the actual documents at your house. Yeah. And, you know, I had no idea that we were going to be stuck in our houses for so long. So it really is an added benefit. You know, to, if you really want to go and read about the Alaskan Stay Behind program, there yes. are about 40,000 documents on yes. FBI's website. You have a lot of time to do that now. You can go read about it. It's, yeah, it's, that's what I love about it. Right. So the episode before this, I had on Garrett Graff, the author of Raven Rock, which is where I learned about the DUCC. And I was freaking out about that. And I was like, I can't find anymore. And then by chance, I got your book and was listening to it. And then there was like, and it's like chapter or whatever, the deep underground command center. I swear to God, I threw my Xbox controller. I was like, fuck, yes. I was freaking out, you know, again, like a normal sane person. But what I love about your book is it reminds me a lot of, and this is a stretch. It reminds me a lot of, um, House of God by Samuel Shem, or that was his pen name. It's this guy that went through Harvard Medical School, best medical school, in, uh, and then went to their residency program, best residency program. You wrote this book in the 70s, and it's all about the insanity of residency in America. And it actually led to some like legislation, but like, like fucking nurses in the closet, smoking meth, like suicide, insane. But what I love about it is it's incredibly untraditional. There's run-on sentences. There's no such thing as grammar. It's just he just spits it all out, and it's. But because of that, you can't put it down. That's what your book is, not the grammar part. But that's what your book is. Is it's just enough that it's like, you tell it like like it's bar, it's like barroom stories. It's like, do you guys want to hear about the Alaskan stay behind? And it's just like you can finish it by the time you can finish a pitcher of beer. And then it's like, dude, that's crazy. And it's like, have you ever heard of the dinosaur? And it's like, what? And it's just like, get another round. That's what I love about it is it's for idiots like me. I can just listen to it and I can geek out. And yeah, man, it's I'm I'm a little upset that you don't have more books. Well, I mean, so books take time. Yeah. Uh, and so there, there's the there's a, I'm in the process right now of writing one that's a bit of a, a kind of tone wise is kind of in the middle. Okay. Of nuclear spies and nuking the moon. It's not as absurd yeah. as nuking the moon. Uh, and it's certainly not as like scholarly rigid as nuclear spies. It's yeah. kind of in the middle. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll come on, you know, in, in six months or nine months and we can have a conversation about yes. it later on. It is down the same kind of idea. And it's, it's going to be more scholarly, but about a, it's about a subject that's just ridiculous. Okay. Uh, in many ways, it's about my hometown, um, Miami, where you can't be all that serious about that town because it's just a. We, we jokingly, I was co-author, and I jokingly talk about Miami being the most likely cantina of the United States. You know, if you want anything, any kind of uh, uh, someone to overthrow a government, you know, can find it in Miami. You Miami. want somebody to go, you know, launder your money, you know, or bring in billions of dollars of cocaine, you Miami. can find them somewhere in Miami, and so that's. Uh, that's not my mistake. That actually happens yes. for a reason, and we're going to kind of lay out what that reason was. And, and it's a lot of intelligence, a lot of CIA, a lot of Operation uh, Northwoods. You know, you know, a lot of Cuba, obviously. Yeah. But uh, there, there's there's a lot of crazy. So that's that's in, in process right now. <sighs> you tease. Uh, so that that should be a fun book, I think. You tease. It's yeah. I, I uh, 
my uh, my roommate from college got into medical school there, and then the year the year following, I interviewed it for medical school there, and I ended up getting in there. I didn't go, but I went down there, and I remember he was like Tommy, and I was like, I was like, this is this place is crazy, and he goes, I'll tell you right now, he goes, this city, unlike any other in the world, is where there is a upper class and a lower class and nothing in between and i was like that's your observation and i was walking to my interview and i mean i mean the heart's bleeding for him you know it's a bunch of people asking for money and then on my left and i have a video of it somewhere on an external hard drive from 2013 pulls up on my left and there was a glare and it's a chromed out lambo <laughs> girl in there fake tits the guy in there spiked hair covered in ice and i was just like i guess welcome to miami <laughs> but yeah yeah, it does have that vibe. You're like, if I needed some like cocaine and hookers, I could find it here. If I want to, I don't know, do a weekend coup, right? Maybe you could pull it off. <laughs> yeah, and what's great, what's great about it is, you know, a lot of these stories are historical, but yeah. you just look at the news from the last year. And uh, there's a story about a Venezuelan coup, and it, it broke. And like, oh my God, these like merchant, yep. you know, these, yeah, these yeah, mercenaries. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I guarantee there's a Miami connection to this. And like a week later, it was like, Venezuelan coup planners meet on Brickle Avenue in Miami. And I'm like, there it is. There it is, baby. There it is. You yeah. know, didn't have to wait long to find out that that's what was happening. Speaking of Miami, I'm having on a guy next week that was involved with the largest FBI shootout ever in oh. Miami. <laughs> yeah. But little side note about Miami. But yeah. Nuclear... My father drove into the middle of that FBI shootout. Really? Well, yes. My God. All the everything's everything's coming together the pieces yes. are, it's like one big game of tetris the podcast pieces are falling yes. in place um but yeah i had a guy on um the other week larry holcomb author of presidents and ufos which is just a great book about just like presidents and quotes about ufos no specula it's just it's a really good book i like it um but in it we were telling a story and we we're talking about old technology and he starts telling the story and in my mind, I was like, Acoustic Kitty. <laughs> he keeps telling the story. I'm like, Acoustic Kitty. And he finally is like, and they're somewhere. And I'm like, New York. And he goes, do you know this story? And I was like, of course I know this story. But I was like, keep telling it because Acoustic Kitty. You need a win over a girl? Acoustic Kitty. You need, a good, yeah, need a good story at a dinner? Acoustic Kitty. And it's and this is how it goes. And you're like, and this is all speculation. But this is what I imagine in the, you know, in the back of their van, smoking long cigarettes. Like, this is my race. And it's Acoustic Kitty. But I've... I've, if you can't tell this podcast, there's no structure. There's no anything. It's just, it just goes wherever. The, the story about the listening device in that painting, I often point to that for when I go. I often point to your book a lot because I go on a lot of long, I call them solo rants, and it's one of guest bales. And so I just start, I pick up something, and I don't have a topic. And at the end, I realize what the thesis was. So the most previous one is like, just yelling about Curtis LeMay for an hour and then concluding that there are like directed energy weapons in space as like that that's the extrapolation of uh, strategic air command if you look at like LeMay's doctrines the XB70 and all that I actually cite your book a lot when I go on these psychopathic rants and I don't know if that's a compliment or an insult to you but yeah whatever works <laughs> hey take you know whatever I'll take it it's um but yeah I, I mean I look at things like the dinosaur or the deep underground command center and like granted yes left on the drawing board but to me it's like the very fact that they made it beyond just the cerebral cortex that's the first one they got out of the mouth and three they got onto the drawing board so i don't look at it as like left on the drawing board i'm like holy shit they got to the drawing board 
Well, in some cases, they, they went in a different direction because technology allowed them to. Yes. And it's, it's still classified. It's yes. not something we're going to find out for a while. So, yes. you know, these are programs that didn't become reality, but it doesn't mean that something similar to it didn't become reality. Yeah. It doesn't mean that, you know, they, they ran into a roadblock in 1965 where they said this is just impossible. But by 1980, you know, by the computer revolution, by, the, you know, that that time they decided let's dust this thing off and let's see if we can't do it with modern technology. And I think that, you know, when I'm 75 and I'm writing the, the sequel to the sequel, to the sequel, hopefully of this, yeah. uh, maybe I can be like, you know, Hey, I wrote about this originally back in 2019, yeah. you know, now we're seeing it, you know, this is the history behind it yeah. and we're just not in a position to do that yet. Uh, but I, none of, people always say, you know, the ideas in this book are crazy ideas. And I really kind of, push back against that idea because that's really we look at them in hindsight as yes. being crazy ideas because at the time they certainly weren't and they were out there a little bit they were you know ideas thinking outside the proverbial box but these people were not crazy these people were trying to find innovative ways to do almost impossible things and yeah. you know, if the SR-71 hadn't worked as well as it did that would have been considered a crazy idea and it would probably yeah. would have been in here yeah. but it worked great Yes. And, you know, so sometimes the hindsight of outcome is really what makes historians, I believe, incorrectly assess, you know, positive or negative judgments upon some of these programs. I tried to eliminate that completely. Yeah. And I said, well, I'm not there's no judgment about any of this stuff. I'm trying to explain how and why these ideas came up. And, you know, every so often I apply a little bit of snark yeah uh because some of them just demand snark <laughs> yes. but they're really they're it's really more just kind of my personality of being like jesus you know yeah. you know look at but at the same point I, i'm not in a position where i will ever say these guys were stupid these guys were crazy uh they were doing you know it, it's to me it's like looking back at previous presidential administrations so let's you know forget the sure. current one because sure. that's just no one can agree on that but looking back at some of the, the previous presidential administrations, you look, you know, things I was against at the time as a citizen, as a historian, I look back and I'm like, look, I didn't like that idea, but clearly that person was trying to do what they thought was best. Was best for the nation. For the country. Yes. And, you know, even going back, you know, there's very few presidents, unless you're talking like James Buchanan, who was this complete shit heel, you know, that you can't say that about. Yeah. You know, and, and so... That, that to me is kind of how I perceive these innovators is like, look, you know, they were in an almost impossible position where there, there's, there's the demand to do something, anything to try to even the score, get ahead or do what they can to, in some cases, win World War II or to even the Cold War playing field and not lose the Cold War. And their ideas were sometimes very good and sometimes turned out to be not so much. And and this book is about the not so much, because there's so many books out there about the very good. Yeah. Right? I mean, the, the, successful, the successful programs, you know, you know, the, the, the victor gets the spoils and they write the history. Yes. I'm, I'm writing for the losers out there, right? You know, so this is, yeah, I'm standing up for those that just didn't get the credit because, you know, the program just didn't happen as successfully as they might have hoped it had. The, yeah, the funding went left instead of right. It zigged when it could have right. zagged. But that's... But that's, I mean, but really, that's what, what I say. I, like, cite your book. That's, like, the how I always frame it is, like, it's crazy now to say right. we're going to X, Y, Z. But, like, the one thing I always, like, use is, like, the SR-71. Like, you have to look, you know, 
or the one analogy I always use is like, imagine if you, it's just like three years after World War II, we just beat the Nazis. Imagine if, and, and you know, and Uncle Sam knows best, right? And the, you know, the hottest technology is, uh, you know, a propeller driven P-51. A very short analogy of what I normally go on a long rant about is, imagine if you went into the desert, you're like a GI. One, you found a secret base that the U.S. military denies exists. Okay, well, that's a little weird. Why is Uncle Sam lying to me? Two, why are they shooting rockets? I didn't know rockets existed. Three, are those Nazis? Four, are those Nazis there talking to LeMay and JFK? Five, what are they planning to do? To go to the moon. None of that would make sense. But in hindsight, we're like, yeah, that was Operation Paperclip. And, you know, we must do, you know, not because it is easy, but because it is hard. It's like... But you have to frame it like that. I mean, you said it perfectly. SR-71, if that didn't work, stuff of legend. We'll look at the plane before it, the one that uh, Kelly Johnson wanted to make, the CL-400. It's going to be a hydrogen-powered craft that was going to fly at, like, 70,000 feet and Mach 2.5, I think. It didn't work. Sounds crazy. What did the one after it do? One at 85,000 feet and one Mach 3, right? It's, and so we just, we just accept it. Oh, that one worked. But that's exactly what it is. It's These are not crazy people. You don't have to like them politically. But, I mean, you have to put yourself in their frame of mind. And it's what you said. Uh, necessity is the mother of invention. And uh, and desperation is the drunk uncle that calls once a year on your birthday. I, I had money for you for your birthday. And I promise I'll give it to you next year. Yes. But if you just give me, if you Venmo me $50, I got this great idea for a roller skating rink. And it's just like, all right, Bob, like I love you too. Hope you're clean. Like... But that's what it is. And these guys aren't stupid. I mean, if I know I'm ranting, but if you watch a documentary on uh, Lieutenant General James Abramson explaining SDI in the 80s, it sounds insane. But you see this guy and he's explaining it very matter of factly. And you're like, well, that's what the situation called for. Right. Right. I mean, Ed Teller is the same way. Yes. I mean, he, he's somebody that, you know, to this day, I mean, I, the people at Livermore just worship the ground he walks on and you know and it's one of these things where you know in hind I, the, my philosophy as a historian is, is really comes out i think in this book the idea is the only way to learn from history the only way and, and people love throwing around that you know if you don't learn from history you're doomed to repeat it well history's not a great guide for for today and I, i'm a historian so yeah. like why are you saying that because the circumstances just aren't the same, right? You can go back to Chinese philosophy, you never step in the same river twice because the water has moved and because you changed, right? Mm -hmm. Looking back at Napoleon's campaigns can teach you very little about modern military, unless- Don't invade Russia. Unless, was that? Don't invade Russia in the winter. Well, yeah, don't invade Russia in the winter, but you know, unless you're empathetic, you know, and that word, you know, real men don't, don't empathize, no historians need to empathize because the idea is the only way you can actually learn about history and its impact on today is to put yourselves in the shoes of the historical actors. Uh, this is something Carl von Clausewitz, you know, you want to get manly that Clausewitz and on war was talking about when he talks about things like the fog of war, when he talks about things like, you know, he sticks up friction, this idea that soldiers get tired, soldiers get cold, soldiers, you know, need food, all these things that, actually modern day commanders deal with also yeah. right they're not fighting napoleon and old school line them up across each other and charge across the battlefield but i don't care how technologically advanced your military is soldiers get tired yeah soldiers get cranky yeah. they get cold they they like you know to eat decent food you have to take that into account and that's how we can 
actually learn from history by saying, all right, in 2020, this looks ridiculous. But if I go back and I put myself in the shoes of somebody that is in 1958 and Sputnik was just launched and holy shit, we're going to lose the Cold War because of this. You kind of have a very different perspective on the way that you're you're treating and judging these individuals because it's not that crazy anymore. Yeah. And and then we can actually say, okay, well, how do we take that to today? How do we understand how that helps us today? Is because you know they had some of the same fears that we did, right? The fears of loss of sovereignty, the fears of you know, are are we going to be a country that can kind of be proud of itself because that's you know what they're thinking about at this time too, and, and so we can kind of judge today's decisions based on an understanding empathetically of historical actors versus saying there's a one to one comparison between Al Qaeda and you know the Soviets. Yeah. No, there's not. Yeah, right. There's not. There's there's very little we can learn. I mean, even look, you know, we can look at Afghanistan in the 1980s. No, yeah. you can't. Right, because the Soviets did not have the logistical support that we do today. The Soviets did not have the kind of special operations ground force that we had, you know, at the very beginning of the Afghan war. There's a hundred different things going on. The Soviets didn't have, you know, a, a world where they're the lone superpower mm-hmm. in the 1980s. There's a, there's a laundry list of things that say looking at the Soviet case in Afghanistan in the 1980s is not a great way to judge the way that we're doing things today. Yeah. But people do it. Yeah. But if you're empathetic about things, if you say, all right, let me put myself in the shoes of Soviet commanders, let me put myself in the shoes of Soviet leadership, understand the particular situation they were facing, then I can possibly learn lessons from this. But trying to create a one-to-one comparison, the historians out there are like, Vince, what are you doing? That's like our whole job is, you know, to say you can learn from us. Well, you can learn from us, but it's a very different way of thinking about things than kind of traditional, let's study Napoleon at West Point and understand how he fought. Well, great. Yeah. You know, Napoleon didn't have close air support, <laughs> right? He didn't have nuclear arms. He didn't yeah. have all these things that allow you to airdrop munitions onto a battlefield, right? Yeah. It's just, it's very hard to learn direct lessons from that. Yeah. Yeah. He has the same lessons to teach us in the same way that like the teachings of like Jesus or Buddha are timeless you know yeah be nice to others but you know don't you know i can't necessarily apply like you must take the the toe off the the big rabbit and offer it to your your wife's mother or some shit and you're like wait what no that's that's what that's no that's weird that's like cattle mutilation but it's like you know it's but you yeah you're right it's like you have to and this is kind of loose because dick cheney is kind of like darth vader but like I even try to look at something like right after like 2001, you know, something like black sites, right? Pretty, you know, everyone's like, that's not good, right? Extraordinary rendition. And, but then I think like the, like the trending, if there was a YouTube, the trending video of the day are people jumping from the North and South tower to pavement. Like right. that, fear, and all the, all the guys that worked on those programs, they they, they mentioned that, right? They the watch idea that of, and they go, yeah. they go, fuck it, burn it down. Sorry to interrupt. Well, Cheney, Cheney is you know a great example of what I was talking about, and the fact that like I'm not sure I agreed with a single thing he stood for, yeah. but I can't argue in good faith that he didn't think he was doing the right thing. Yes, you know. Yes, granted, so did Darth Vader. Yes, uh, yes. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, but you're in a position where. It's it's not it's not kosher to argue that he's got some nefarious plot that's anti-American. Well, yeah. you know he he felt the way that he felt, and yeah, 
you know, whether we agree or disagree doesn't really matter historically because, uh, you know, we shouldn't judge him based on how we apply things. We should judge him based on kind of how he was approaching things. Yes. And yeah, you're right. I mean, is he making money on Halliburton? Yeah, it gets a little hairy there, right? It gets a little morally questionable, but like, it's kind of like, um, you know, it's like a few good, me- few good men. Like, you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall because there's a place that you don't like to talk to uh, at parties. Well, you know, what do you do when you're like, well, we shouldn't have extraordinary rendition because you know we fight armies, and it's like just like at one point we stopped marching across a field with like you know a trumpet or a bugle. We also stopped having like German cities and Japanese cities where it's like there's the army in their uniforms. It's like. Well, what do you do when like the weapon turns into like an American Airlines flight in downtown Manhattan? What do you do when like people's exploded bodies have hit the sidewalk at terminal velocity on a Tuesday morning, you know, with the Statue of Liberty in the background? At what point do you go like, well, then maybe we have to wade into the shadows. Maybe we ha- and, you know, and do we become the thing? Do we come worse than the thing we're fighting? Obviously, a whole philosophical uh, debate right. about that. But. I yeah I and I tend to think that I really do with every president and maybe I'm just hopefully optimistic and doe-eyed but and I, I've got you for five more minutes but I tend to do think I'm like dude these guys left or right you know whether they cheat on their wives or whether they made some money in a backhand thing or whether they did some coke in a frat house I'm like ultimately like I at the core I do believe that these are these are men these are brilliant men you're not stupid if you get to the Oval Office who do want the country yeah who do want the country who do what they think is best for the country you know it's like your parent you know you can look back when you're older and be like man my my dad or my mom really did that wrong but like do you think they did it because they're like you know fuck this kid or do you think it's like they were just like this is what i think is best and i'm like i'm gonna go for it i don't get any do-overs right well historically i mean as a historian i actually take solace in the fact that people make mistakes yeah that you know everyone's well not everyone people always argue you know don't sully the reputation like why do we need to see like you know martin luther king's a great example right yes you know, he's yes every, you know, hero you know top five americans i would argue of all yes. time yes. right but he, he his you know his relationship with his wife wasn't great Fucked right around you know yes so he, he he certainly was a flawed man um but that allows us to actually have some dreams for the future in many respects right because as a kid growing up if all the great people are perfect then i know as a kid there's not a chance in hell i'm ever going to become a great person yes but if i realize from the very beginning that they're flawed just like me and they're in a position where they're trying to make the best decision they can and they sometimes screw that up then then i can actually dream big because I know that, you know, you know, I'm kind of screwed up too, but yeah. so is this person and yeah. so is that person. And, and, you know, and they reach the highest levels yeah. of whatever they wanted to do. And so, you know, it, it's, there's a kind of this great man philosophy in history where people write these soaring biographies of these historical figures and leave out the bad stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, that's doing everyone a disservice because, you know, Abraham Lincoln had some bad bad parts of his personality you know by suspending habeas corpus probably not the most american thing he's ever done you know he had a temper these things you know we hold this guy up to be honest abe he's abe lincoln but but then how do you want how do you emulate that like how do you want to be like that it it makes it very difficult to do 
And so I, I you know, I'm all for showing warts and all, uh, because humanizing historical figures is the way that we can look at them and say, all right, I can, I can be empathetic. Yeah. Right. You know, you can't be empathetic if it's someone that you can't it's imagine just, yourself yeah. doing the same decisions and yes. other things like that. And so that to me is important. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I mean, FDR, I mean, I mean, what an animal. But I mean, he he died while in Warm Springs, Georgia, with the woman he was having an affair with that his wife knew he was. I mean, Eisenhower, someone wrote a letter from like like the nuclear bunkers and stuff like during one of the drills, like Operation Alert or something at like Mount Weather. And it was like, you can't bring your wife and kids, but they did have like reserved spots for the secretaries. And like, hey, isn't that Eisenhower's? Isn't that the same girl that's been with him all throughout the war? What is that? You know, the woman that's like with him is like, you know, behind every strong woman is a or a man is a strong. And it's like, meanwhile, he's got a side check going to the nuclear bunkers. Like, yeah, I don't think it I don't think it like skir- or not skirmish. I don't think it blemishes them. I look at it. I'm like, oh, like they're assholes. Like, OK, like I'm an asshole. Like and I'm always trying to be better. But if they be if they're perfect, as soon as you mess something up, you're like, well, there goes my chance at doing anything because i've already i've already scuffed it i can't you know i can't undo it but then it's like you know it's like oh man like bill clinton like okay, you know got a blowjob in the oval office but it's like he oh he balanced the budget like you're, okay you're like okay i'll take it you know i'll take it you know you know michael jordan you know gambles a lot but it's like okay but you know six championships right it's i'm something it's only I gotta let you. I have, I have one more minute with you. It's only a matter. I'm from New England, but it's only a matter of time before something comes out about Tom Brady. It's just it's been too long. It's only a matter of time. I mean, you have the Deflate Gate stuff, which you I guys mean, pretend doesn't exist. I don't know I'm what you. I, I don't even know what that I word means. Can. I don't even know what that word yeah. means. That that's yeah. I don't recognize that. Like China doesn't che- recognize cheater, it. as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. <laughs> what I mean is like something bad's gonna come out, like some like Mike Vick shit, right? Or some racist comment, and it's gonna be. Deflategate, that's, yeah, that's bad in the eyes of football. I mean, like, something, like, like theft, or I guess that would be theft, right? It's going to be something like he beats his dog. Does that make him any less of a champion? No. Okay, but now he's not, like, Tom Brady, like, this, you know, and I know you're looking at me like, shut up about Tom Brady, dude, but... (laughs) Well, I'm at 29 minutes and 47 seconds, and I'm not going to keep you over. Dr. Vince Houghton author of nuking the moon as well as nuclear spies which i loved for what it is too it's not nuking the moon but nuking the moon is nuclear spies and i did learn a lot i feel like i'm well versed in that subject and nuclear spies is a lot especially you know about general groves and not changing the names of operations but i won't tease anyone with that that is an awesome book i'm gonna definitely segue this into trying to get you on for a nuclear spies episode sometime next year but um or next month i don't care but i'm not gonna put that pressure on you right now the book is awesome. It's a one-day listen. It's fun. It is legitimately fun. You do for Cold War history what Dan Carlin did for World War One. That's how I feel. I don't know if you're familiar with Dan Carlin. Yes, appreciate yes. it. Yeah, that is, and I, I mean that from the heart. I read a lot, of, listen to a lot of audiobooks. You can make anything interesting, and I cannot wait for your next book. Thank you for coming on, sir. I will send you this when it's over or when it's uploaded. Thank you so much for coming on, man. Of course. I appreciate it, man. All right, man. God bless. God bless. Stay safe, everybody. God bless America. Bye-bye. Take it easy. Peace.